Coach Fury podcast. Here's my dad. Kid Fury nailed it. Welcome to episode 20. For those of you that have been listening and supporting the show, thank you so much. It is much appreciated. For those that are new to the show and this is your first time, hello. Folks, I've got the man who introduced me to Ultimate Sandbag Training before I knew who Josh Hankin was coming up. That is Gavin Van Vlack. Uh, very excited about this episode. A couple of things about it as before we get into it. Um, Gavin is a, owns a Muay Thai gym, so you're going to hear pads and bells and a lot of hitting in the background. We also recorded this in two things, so the audio is going to sound a little different. Totally cool with that, right? You're also going to hear Gavin basically pitch a competitive brand of kettlebell certification, and I just want to let you know, like, I'm totally cool with that. I'm not editing that stuff out. This isn't about that you know, we've talked about Strong First before. I'm going to have people from Strong First before. So I don't want anybody to be like, ooh, when it comes on. Yes, I teach for the RKC. Yes, there are other great teachers out there. There are other systems out there. Gavin's going to speak his mind. Any of my guests are going to speak their mind, right? I don't have to agree with everything. I don't have to disagree with anything. Cool. So we get that out of the way. Hey, classes are coming to Brooklyn. Come train with me at Fury Industries, a.k.a. my home base, and I'm going to start classes in February. And check out the website. I've been updating a lot of the sections of the website, including the services section. So if you're interested in personal training, online training, or coming in for classes when they kick in, it's all in there. Any upcoming courses, including officially locked and loaded April 8th in Vermont at Parisi at my friend Casey Lee's spot. We're bringing our original strength pressing reset, uh, as well as the rest of the schedule is all updating on there. If you're interested in hosting a course, hit me up at coachfearyatgmail.com. Uh, folks, the first round of the new Die Mighty shirts have been arriving. They came out great. Thanks to Kim for uh, putting that together. She nailed it. And if you're interested in getting one, it's the new shirt. It says, live long, be strong, and die mighty, because that is the mission statement, right? That's a good way to live. Check out Teespring, T-E-E-S-P-R-I-N-G.com slash live long, be strong. Shirts available now. And without further ado, because I want to get to this one, this was a fun conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, everyone else, Gavin Van Black. I'm super stoked to have uh, not only an old friend at this point, I've known this guy for over seven years, but also one of my big mentors, the gentleman that introduced me into Ultimate Sandbag Training, the one and only Gavin Van Black. Gavin, can you say hi to the listeners and uh, tell them a little bit about yourself? Hello, listeners. Uh, this is Gavin Van Vlack. Uh, hit me Instagram at GVV Strong. Um, I am a musician and strength coach, uh, both at the same time. Uh, I own a facility in Brooklyn called Physical Culture Collective, which is the home of Diamond Heart Muay Thai Team. Um, I am also the guitarist for uh, the... Uh, progressive hardcore band Burn. Um, I've been involved in the strength and conditioning scene in New York for probably about the past quarter of a century. Um, working in one facet or another, I got introduced into it through Muay Thai because I was training Muay Thai and uh, I was trying to find some way to like some way to enhance athleticism, so to speak, like to really get an edge. And uh, I started working with some strength coaches and I really kind of, it resonated with me. It's like understanding like anatomy and physiology and how all that stuff works uh, and understanding the, uh, you know, the relation of 
let's say, being able to teach someone a sprint pattern and being able to get it to affect their Muay Thai or their Jiu Jitsu or their martial art better. Um, it became really, really fascinating. And I was exposed to people like this early on and it, it, it just kind of stuck with me and it made me look for to, to work with people that were progressive minded. Um, and that's kind of how Steve and I became friends with, through another facility that I was working at at the time. He was a member and uh, he really had a, like, he, he really had a, a, a thing for like interesting training techniques. So at that time, a lot of people were still, uh, it was just getting away from the machines, getting away from like, you know, the, uh, you know, linear motion machines and uh, people were using free weights and these are all things that have their purpose. And, you know, one of them I love, I love, I love me some barbells, you know? Um, and, uh, but I had been working with kettlebells and sandbags because it just seemed really, really, there was like, it seemed like there was more, more you could do, more use you could get out of a tool. Um, you know, wherefore a barbell is, you know, you can do several motions with a barbell. You can take a kettlebell or a sandbag and you can recreate so many different patterns of motion, so many loading processes, so many different variables. And uh, that was what had drawn me to it and drawn a lot of like like-minded people like myself, like Steve to this. Um, you know, we're not alone. We're not special little snowflakes. We're kind of, we're in a way garden variety for the coaches that we tend to gravitate to. Yeah, I think we've actually, I mean, I'm not like a trailblazer in any way. Certainly you are, but I think we found... Back in those days of finding some of the what you you were calling odd objects in your classes, but yeah. like these these training implements and systems that are sort of now just becoming foundations of progressive fitness training, no matter what your background was now, right? Like even if you power lift, like this stuff is becoming you know, the groundwork underneath so much. Um, I'm going to add in some stuff on this, some layers on this. So sure, shoot. Gavin talks about this progressive hard rock band, hardcore band, like Gavin, I knew Gavin about six months before I figured out, or I don't even know how you told me or how it came to be that he was the guitarist in Burn. Uh, folks, Burn is like one of my top three favorite New York hardcore bands of all time. <laughs> and uh, so that melted my brain. We were already friends. I was like, how did I not put that together? Um, and I realized I didn't go to shows. I've seen Burn play a bunch, but I, I didn't go to shows all that often. And this was sort of like pre-internet. Like back in the early 90s, you were still looking for shows through The Voice. You weren't yeah. searching stuff. Like I did all my school stuff on a brother word processor and a notebook, right? That's crazy. Yeah. Um, but I remember as a member, I didn't really know Gavin and he's like an intimidating looking cat, right? Uh, you would not be surprised that he was in a New York hardcore band. I mean, this like, you're, you like fucking just look like a badass when you're on stage, right? And I was just getting into kettlebells pretty deeply and he was just like hey steve come check this out right the nickname fury wasn't a thing i was already called bald fury outside of that but it's like just being called fury wasn't a thing yet and uh he started showing me just i think he showed me like a couple of moves on the ultimate sandbag and i think that night i literally went and googled at this point the internet this was like uh 2010 i, I googled josh's name and when he was coming to town and signed up for that course and Gavin lent me an older version of the manual that I like went and trained through really hard and had an amazing time at that course. Gavin came by and said, hi. And, you know, uh, 
we've sort of showed up at a lot of the same certs after I had gone through to like talk or help out. And in the early days, in particular, a DVRT going back like anywhere, I mean, it's not even that long ago, but like 2010 to like 2015, if you'd ask like half the people where they found out about ultimate sandbag training in New York and Brooklyn, it would be Gavin. What was your first introduction to Josh? Like, how did you come across that um, particular? Because you introduced me to a lot of coaches' names I didn't know about. Because I clearly started in a hard style background where it was like I knew a lot of the Dragon Door names, but yeah. I was just like an aficionado. I didn't know names, but like you introduced me to the names of like Mike Mahler, Jason C. Brown. I, I hope to meet these cats one day. Um, I know John Hines came by to the gym to visit you one day. Yeah. And then Hankin um, I learned about from you. A lot of that was from uh, when I first got uh, – when I first was doing hardstyle, like RKC, um, like Hankin, Hankin had done the RKC. Uh, Mike Mahler was an old – he was one of the original RKC guys. Uh, John Hines. It all kind of stemmed out of that because that was like – like, that was a big coming ground. That's where everybody kind of came around. Like, wow, the, this RKC thing is really taking off. And a lot of like – you know, Jason C. Brown was, was, you know, high up with the RKC. And every, like, you know, Steve Cotter and, like, um, Steve Maxwell, all of these guys who are really, really, I mean, like, you think about it now, they're, 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 they're the vanguard of what is now really, really big, like all your My Mad Methods and um, On It Academy and all that stuff would not really exist if it wasn't for, you know, the Mike Mollers, Steve Maxwell's, Steve Cotters, all these guys, um, and even like Scott Sonnen, all those guys came out of this RKC thing. Uh, and uh, there was there was a, there was an information network, and uh, it was funny too because also Zach Evanesh down in uh, down in down Underground Strength in New Jersey, he he would have these guys in back when he was in his little garage. Yeah. You have these guys in, like John Hines, he had in, Steve Connery had in, had these guys in for workshops. And Evan Esch's spot was like, that was kind of like, in a weird way, it was kind of like, like, let's say, like the A7, of uh, which is an old punk rock club. Uh, it was like the A7 for like that kind of, uh, that kind of fitness, that kind of training, you know? And uh, that's where we all kind of came around that. Uh, it was really, really, you know, and it wasn't easy to get the information, you know, because still there's a lot of the bodybuilding stuff that was out there, um, which I'll get into that too later. But it's, uh, it's, you know, I, I think that's where it came. There was like a very close-knit information. It was just like stuff was starting to come out on the internet. And, um, you know, like you start to realize that the internet is for something other than porn. And, uh, you know, and, you know, you, you'd find things. And it's weird, too, because a lot of the message boards, and at that point, CrossFit had just started to come up. So there's a lot – you see a lot of stuff about, like, density cycles, and it was, like, density-style training. And that's what a lot of people were doing. Were like, there was, like, that CrossFit density. Really, really, you know, tough programs. I mean, really, really hard – I would say really, really aggressive, but not – it really – I mean, there was a lot of thought put into it, but the thought was really towards – making it more difficult as opposed yeah. to making it more productive. In hindsight now, I can look back and I can see where Josh's influence and, and, you know, clearly like, you know, Brett Jones had an influence on this type of stuff as well. But like that idea of like, we're finding, I think like a lot of like kettlebells and sandbags and, and, you know, uh, club bells, like everything was about like, how can we make it gnarlier? Yeah. Um, and then it became like, how can we actually, 
it morphed into how can we make people really efficient in movement and all sorts of movement as opposed to just this level of complexity uh, or, or lack of complexity and just in terms of making things like crushingly difficult. Yeah. I think that's been a cool thing that's evolved, man. I, it's, it's when I hear stories about that, that's when I, I, I wish I got in, you know, we all get into these things when we get into them and we can't change it, but to have that, have that period of time when things were still so underground where you have all these, you know, guys names that, uh, you know, we're on the come up as opposed to now that they're, they're all established. Yeah. Now, you and Mahler must have hit it off. I know I got a weird shout out about training in my underwear. You were on that podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you guys must have hit it off because I didn't realize, you know, I knew when I first. Well, Mahler, Mahler, that, Mahler's also, he's an old hardcore kid. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. I didn't realize I, I knew he's vegan. I had no idea that I was from like listening to the Cro-Mags that opened these doors to be. Mike, Mike, Mike Mahler is one of the people that I kind of, whenever we get a vegan athlete or someone who's vegan in here that I direct them towards Mike Mahler because of his hormone optimization. And so Todd, start your movement prep. We'll get right with you. Uh, because, because of like his hormone optimization and he has such a wealth of knowledge around like the vegan, like the vegan diet and how to train as a vegan. Um, and, I mean, the guy is strong as a fucking bull. And also, it's not just strong as a bull, but he's, he's, an, he's an adult athlete. He's not a young buck. So this is stuff we're looking at for guys like myself and guys like you who are like, we want to maintain strength throughout. You know, like, it's not like we want to get to 60 and all of a sudden, oh, now we get feeble. No, we want to remain, have that vitality all the way through life. You know, so it's kind of, you know, these are the people that are really important where you get into Mike Baller, Steve Maxwell, um, Jason C. Brown. I'm not, I, I feel bad because they're like, you're old and you're old and you're old. But <laughs> these, are guys that, these are guys that have years of experience behind them that are worth things. And that's something we need to understand is like there's this fetishization of youth that I think is like we all want to maintain our youth. But the thing is like, we also need to gain knowledge through experience. Yeah, I know for, for myself, I don't mean to cut you off, but I, I know I have these moments now. So I'm 45 now, which is not super old, but super, you know, not not super young. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to hit 50 in like the blink of an eye. And when I, uh, I think about how I feel, when I think about where I am in life, when I think about how I look, like I'm nowhere where like if you went back and like, if, if, you know, 23 years old and been like, this is what I would imagine 50 is like, I still feel like I'm 25 years old now. Recovery is a different thing. Yep. I've got, you know, I'm, 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 I'm definitely cash checks from decades of skateboarding and BMX. Like I have that, that mileage on the chassis, but if you keep training and you get into the right forms of training, it, it really is like the fountain of, of, of movement youth. And mm -hmm. you were the cat before I had any idea what a training philosophy was that said the ultimate goal would be pain-free range of motion. Yep. Right? Like if you can move without pain and that has stuck with me ever since since that it's, it's I, where the, like we got these people we have people like gray cook that came in and saw the tools that we were using and we're like okay well this is good but you know the saying that he put out which was you're just putting fitness on top of dysfunction yeah that resonates you know okay yeah now you've got a really strong shitty movement yeah you know? it, 
And, and and that's where I think, if anything, that's where the struggle still is. I think it's it's, it's trying to convey that message uh, to the gen pop person that's coming in. Cause at least with athletes to a degree with athletes, they know they need to protect themselves for the event, right? There's that little bit of level of training safety where they're like, I cannot get hurt before this event. Yeah. Um, versus like a gen pop person when they come in, sometimes there's still that like crush it mentality that's happening. And, uh, Mm -hmm. we have the tools to sort of meet them in the middle of that, where it can feel like they're getting this really solid intense session, but it could be smart. And then still coaching him up like a proper philosophy of like, this is actually, it's actually, you don't need like 10 crushing workouts. You need a hundred mellow, consistent, safe workouts. Consistency beats intensity any day. At first with, you know, with the whole, uh, let's, 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 let's just call it odd objects. You know, whether it's like sand belt, sandbags, clubs, kettlebells, um, you know, all of that training, I, it, it kind of like everybody who came around it, it was, in the RKC with, a, with the original hardstyle when Pavel was still involved with the RKC. And um, they had, they did a really good job of promoting their coaches because, you know, you had Steve Maxwell, you had Mike Muller, you had Steve Cotter, uh, Jason C. Brown, um, got so many amazing coaches. I know I'm going to piss some people off by not mentioning names probably, but, you know, <laughs> whatever i didn't feel like mentioning it get over it um it's uh you know and that was a big think tank because people saw what was doable with the kettlebell and they're like well what if i tried this and what if i tried that and that's where you got like the genius of josh hankin yeah uh, with dvrt and where he kind of like was like yeah this kettlebell thing is cool but what if we took it and made it so that every rep was different, you know, and I'm not going to get onto a big advertising for, you know, Josh does a really good, good job of uh, promoting his own stuff. So I don't need to do it for him. I'm a big fan of his. I love his stuff. We use his stuff at physical culture collective. There's my plug. Um, <laughs> you know, we use his stuff here successfully. Uh, it's great. It's economical. Um, it's fun as fuck, which is really important. And, uh, so yeah, it's uh you know, and that you've got people like that. You've got like your Jason C. Browns, who I think are you know really really important because Jason C. Brown is just a friggin' movement advocate. You know, yeah, I've he, never I've never met him. He's somebody I look forward to meeting. Jason um, Jason is uh, there's certain people that were involved in the hardcore scene that I that I think in physical culture are super super important, and Jason's one of them. Another one, and this is in Muay Thai, is AJ James. Oh, um, no, AJ. AJ James was kind of a, he was kind of, in a way, he was patient zero for Muay Thai in New York. Um, he's oh, wow. the one who got me into it. Um, I mean, there were other people into it, but into it. But as far as like with the hardcore scene, with what we were doing, he was like the first one of the hardcore scene that was involved with it. But back into like, you know, the odd object concepts, like Jason C. Brown, I, um, I had known Jason because he had, he had like rode for 108, and he had, you know, he had hung out with the guys from Turmoil uh, from Pennsylvania. And uh, I'll see you later, Zach. Zach Dom just left. Coach Zach Dom. Amazing, Zach's a good amazing, guy, folks. Amazing coach, amazing person. Um, uh, and we, got, we had fallen out of contact because he, you know, he had gotten into the fitness thing. I was still in the hardcore thing. And you know, we, kind of, we kind of got reintroduced to each other through Zach Avanesh at Underground, uh, Underground Strength Gym. And uh, 
we we started you know we picked up a uh, you know a dialogue back and forth about you know about you know about hardcore and about fitness and about you know because back then he was he owned CrossFit Philly, which was like one of the first CrossFits on the East Coast, and uh, him and Pam McElroy were you know really really successful with that. And he, you know, he went away, grew away from the RKC thing, grew away from the, the CrossFit thing. Um, he now works as a consultant for uh, a very large big box gym. And he run, you know, he does some private training, but he teaches, and he teaches, in my opinion, what is probably the most, and it's going to piss people off. I will hands down say, and this is someone from someone, like, I, I consider myself to have a decent amount of experience to be able to say this, probably the most comprehensive kettlebell uh, class, you know, non-dogmatic, like, or let's say kettlebell certification, like he stays away from dogmas. He goes for what really works, not because he doesn't do things because, well, so-and-so said this is the way that we're, we're, it's done, so we do it this way. He has done the work and he tries everything and, you know, the Bruce Lee concept, you know, you know, he keeps what good, what's good and throws the rest away. And I think, you know, his, the, the KBC, um, you know, or KB, I'm sorry, not KBC, KBA, that's KBC is another, that's Dave Ganyulins. Um, K, KBA is probably one, like one of the, that's the one I sent my coaches to KBA because I just, I, I like the way that Jason goes about teaching because he teaches a very non-dogmatic non style. See, listeners, you're going to get the honesty check of Fury right now because I'm leaving that in, even though I teach for the RKC now. Yeah, uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I, dude, I started RKC, and I think our, I start I start everybody hard style. Well, what I, I wanted to talk about actually, what I wanted to talk about, there's two things that came up out of, out, of, out of that part of the conversation that I think are really interesting, and uh, it is this idea of, of the people that evolved out of the early days of the RKC that really uh, explored and added to the curriculum, and then grew out and did their own things. Versus I know one of the things that I struggled in my early days of being a member of the RKC and, and you know, when, when the strong first split happened was that this level of, you know, if it's outside of the curriculum, it doesn't exist, right? Like, like these are the big six and there were very few accepted variations out of it, not necessarily by the leadership. It was almost like this weird... I don't know. It was almost like Planet of the Apes law. Like, you know, there's like, you know, you have the lawgiver and it's like, ape does not kill ape. Ape does not do this. And it was like, thou shalt not rack the bell or whatever in certain moves. It got like really super specific where it's like, guys, there's more options out there than what we're doing in the context of a one day or a three day course. We're teaching foundations, but foundations don't mean you don't build levels on it. And I don't mean just like a level two certification. And I think that's one of the coolest things as a, uh, a kettlebell enthusiast that I've seen in the work of like, you know, Mahler and Maxwell, those guys is like, you know, they all kind of evolved their own styles. But if you also go back into the curriculum, right, Maxwell's the guy who introduced the get up, I believe into yeah. the RKC curriculum. And actually quite honestly, the original RKC curriculum, there would be no curriculum if it wasn't for Maxwell. Maxwell was the one who designed the whole curriculum. Oh, wow. See, that's, yeah. again, going deep. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, Maxwell was the one, he's the one who understood the methodology, how to apply the methodology to it. Pavel, from what I, now this is only from what I understand, Pavel understood how to use the kettlebell, you know, how yeah. the gun worked. Pavel's yeah. real gift is also, he's so good at 
really distilling how to communicate the movement, okay. right? Like that's yeah. his thing. Like he can take all of the, uh, you know, he could really distill all the necessary qualities yeah. of those movements and keep it into a few key sentences um, or stages. I mean, that's definitely like, I, you know, very, the, the best coaches excel to be clear in that mm -hmm. way. Yeah. Um, as opposed to trying to impress with big words um, or, you know, get overly complicated about it. I mean, the more you do these things, you realize like, yes, there's a certain level of high technique needed. But when you look at a swing, I, you know, for me, the swing is three things. It's a hinge, it's a plank and breathing. Yep. And it's just how fast you're going with it. Right. And, mm -hmm. and if you think about that, that's almost every hinge in some way. Yep. It, it just becomes a matter of tempo and purpose, right. Or yep. implement. And, you know, certainly you mentioned how Josh came out of that. And I think the greatest thing of what Josh did was creating, you know, a system or well, first the tool, which I didn't know. He mentioned this on the podcast. I thought he created the system as he was doing the tool, but he made it, he actually made the ultimate sandbag first, but actually developed a system that made sense. Cause I think in the early days of a lot of this type of training, I think I was right on like the crux of it really becoming more of a philosophy than just like random crap thrown together to like for effort's sake. Right. Oh, I was, um, I was totally in there for, I was in the random crap canoe. Yeah. I think a lot of them <laughs> were, and I, you know, I, I, but I think, you know, there's still a benefit to doing it, but I think like, you know, the gift of Josh in particular is, is finding a way to put these pieces together, you know, largely the ultimate sandbags, the centerpiece of what he does, but he does use other implements. And I think mm -hmm. that's, what's cool where we're at in training now versus where I was on the tail end, I think of like some of this randomness, you know, we were, we were still getting yeah. like, you know, trying to make, I mean, there's still an element of it, but like flipping tires. Cause we saw it on the ultimate fighter show. Oh, absolutely. Or, you know, or, or like, you know, here's a funny thing. And I think there, there's so many modalities that really like lifting the bag up and then slamming it down to the ground. Yeah. You know? I saw a video for a competitor's um, bag and, and the whole purpose of the video is to show how many times they slammed it to the ground. And I'm like, well, that's not really serving gravity, purpose. Gravity, gravity works in your favor. If you want, if, if you want to learn how to slam a bag properly, Ivan Ivanov, <laughs> supplice. His, uh, he, okay. He trains, he trains world-class wrestlers. Yeah. World-class grapplers. He makes bags that are meant to be thrown, okay? And there's a specific movement pattern for throwing them. The DVRT bags are not for that. Yeah, com completely. So yeah. It, it, you will void your warranty if you try that crap. It Absolutely. feels good. It feels good to slam one on the ground like a dead body. I think that was, like, yeah. I know for me, the initial lunkhead appeal. The two appeals for ultimate sandbag training and sandbags for me when you showed them to me was, uh, it was two things. It was, it did feel really good to like throw an awkward, moving weight onto your shoulder and then move around with it. Like yep. it did feel like you were, you know, taking people down in the pit to some degree. Right. Yeah. And then the other end of it was the flowy side of it and then moving in different directions, which related to me like a skateboarder, right? Like that tapped right into that. Mm -hmm. Like you, there was still room to be creative and there still is room to be creative in, yeah. in EVRT where, you know, uh, there is a, I think a max point in kettlebells where like, you know, it's a foundations. It's like powerlifting. There's only so yep. many things we're going to be at, add to that layer. And I think kettlebells are kind of hitting that point where, yeah, there's going to be simplified programs. It's going to be more complex programs. We're going to come up with some like, I don't even know if we could come up with new moves. Let's be honest. I think we'll come up with moves come into style. And, and, and I know like the split jerk was really popular for a window last year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Things come in or, or like, uh, what is it? The, the SOTS press or uh, that split leg press, you know, uh, things will happen like that. But I don't well, you think get, it's... You get into like the problems that people get into. And everything's always you know, like, 
the best stuff is the simplest stuff to me. And what you have to differentiate. And I think we've finally gotten past, especially because we're going through this whole era of like extreme fitness of differentiating between what's a feat of strength and what is actually a pliable tool to be able to do sustainable over a period of time, you know, where we get to like, you know, here's another, another, another coach name drop, Jim Wendler, the five, three, one, which I think is a magnificent idea and program, which can be sustainable for, you know, for any period of time. We use it. We use a modification of that with our, with our athletes here. Um, We have some specific modifications to kind of make it our own thing. Um, And, uh, you know, with, especially because we're working with, you know, combat sports athletes, Muay Thai people, and the whole thing, we work around bolstering the joint strength. We're not trying to get anybody stronger. When we have an athlete that's in fight camp, we're not looking to increase their numbers. You know, we're looking for sustainability in the sport. We're looking to do something that's not going to tax the neurological system any more than it needs to be, you know, cause it's, you're already dealing with that. Something that is going to, you know, keep the joints strong and mobile, Yeah. you know? So it's like, you know, the, the, the minimalist approach to me is always, I think what I think is best. I mean, you can take a Turkish getup and I can give you at least a half a dozen different ways to go about the Turkish getup, you know? Yeah. I um, agreed. You know, but what's, you know, what's the, what's the one we, we use, a, we use what I call a, we use a clinical getup here. And the Turkish getup is very much a staple at this gym. And we have a lot of times people are like, oh, it's too calm. I can teach somebody. If you give me someone who's a decent mover, mover, and this isn't everybody, someone who's a de- decent mover, I can teach them a Turkish getup within 15 minutes. Yeah. If somebody's got the requisite, uh, you know, uh, m- baseline motor skills for it yeah. you know it can move well and also has the shoulder mobility for yeah. me i've been finding the shoulder mobility at least in terms of a naked get up you know that's the x factor it's crazy yeah. uh it's it's surprising so sometimes these like related lack of mobility things that you see in people over time as a trainer that's still some of some some of the things that i don't want to say surprise me because i've seen it now mm-hmm. a lot of people can't just get that arm overhead where it needs to be and i don't think a lot of coaches when they teach the get up you know, I don't show somebody the full getup anymore. I, you know, I teach the quarter, let them live in there, teach the, the half, unless they're going through a cert. Well, exactly, if, if, but that's the thing. Yeah. That's the thing. You can have anybody, anybody can start the getup. And so, let's face it, the start's yeah. the hardest part of a getup. Like, exactly. if I've ever gone for a PR, I know that if I can roll to the elbow, I'm 90% going to make that rep. That is the yep. hardest part. And then yep. it's the stand-up. But I think a lot of coaches don't really understand that part, that especially with an implement like the ultimate uh, – sorry, with the kettlebells. Like, if you can't get that arm overhead, it's mm-hmm. either going to be – you're going to lean back into it, so it's your lower back. You're going to be fighting – you know, the bell from a non-vertical position where you're overtaxing the shoulder, not building stability on it. Very and true. And the whole for the, uh, point of that weight is it's just trying to pull you to the ground now. It's not the same as when it's in a proper position, but I don't think, you know, if I see things that coaches do before they go to a cert of any kettlebell cert is they try to rush people to get that and they don't want to clean it up, right? They don't want to set somebody back or take the time to get them there. And it's the same thing with snatches. Any listeners, coaches, you've seen someone snatching where that stuff is not going anywhere near vertical. Yep. You know, it's just sort of like, uh, I don't know if you want to say maybe like, uh, you know, 160 degrees from the floor. It's, like, it's just, we shouldn't yeah, be stopping it's there. Not, oh, it's not over the heels. It's over the toes. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that's, that I mean, that's, that's something too, is like to, to keep in mind of, 
these these subjects that we're talking about. Now, if you give me someone who cannot, who who's not going to be able to do the getup, most likely you're going to be dealing with someone who's got a very young training age. And yeah. this is the thing. That's why being if you could teach someone like that to go to a quarter getup and get good extension. And I'm talking a quarter getup where we're getting the low bridge off of the elbow. We teach, like I said, what I call a clinical getup because we want to get as much extension as possible throughout the getup. Okay. So we have them bridge off the elbow. We have them bridge off the hand. Okay. Off the, up to the hand. That's our half getup. Okay. So if we can get that person to just get up to the, the quarter getup and have them work there for two to three, two, three, four weeks, before progressing them any further, they're going to get gains off of that. I mean, and it's, it's, it's so tough to say gains because gains has become such a, but that's the whole thing. Yeah. Is being able to make progress. They will make progress. I can't sometimes like when I get someone in, who's like got a young training age, I'm like, wow. You know, it's like, cause you know how it is. It's like, we've been training for a long time. It's really hard to get any kind of progress. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had somebody for the first time and, and it's worked out to be a great drill where I call them pre-sweep ups, where it's just that moment where you're in the tall sit, you know, butt on the ground and you're just literally with that straight leg driving in to lift the hips up and off the ground. You're not even thinking of this sweep. And yeah. I was surprised breaking it that down into that small a step, a step because, uh, building proficiency where there's a confidence level on the sweep because the one thing i see even at rkc is even when people have been training for these things is they're still they can do their test weights or even heavier but there's this lack of confidence at the moment that they have to lift their hips off the ground and get the knee under where mm -hmm. it's like almost like a hail mary let me get that knee there for whatever it takes versus like owning that part Right. And I think that's one of the takeaways um, from, you know, cats like you and, and Josh is, is, is like owning every step of that part, yeah. you know, as opposed to like, did you really make it if you just made it? Like, is that really a safe work weight if you have to hail Mary the sweep? Not really. No, absolutely. Well, here's the, another thing about it, too, is that there's and I'm not going to go into detail about it because it's like it's kind of a little bit I, I will show it to you. I'm not going to talk about it. there's there's a certain way to teach the get up which expedites the whole thing um, that I found in over years and years of teaching the get up. Um, and uh, it's a matter of, because most people try to, they, they get hindered by skill set. Okay. Cause not everybody has skills, but everybody has neurons. So there's a way to apply it neurologically that makes it much more efficient. I'll show that to you at a different time. If anybody wants to understand it, reach out to me. I'm not going to talk because like I said, it is, it's like, it's a little bit of a, of a PCC, uh, uh, trademark secret, secret that we secret run. Sauce, secret yeah. sauce. Um, and I'm more than willing to explain it to, to, to the right people. Um, but there's people out there that quite honestly, that, you know what? I worked really hard to have the knowledge I have go do your work. <laughs> it's true. Sometimes it is go do the homework, uh, yeah. I, you know, and, and, and I tend to be as you are, cause I've, you know, I've, I've had great mentors in my life and continue to is to be generous with my time. But yeah. I got to admit, sometimes the questions I get are like, you know what you, we have this amazing thing called the internet and Google yeah. and, and you can look up a lot of stuff. Like how many random times, you know, it's one thing if someone's training with me, right. Then, then you can ask it. But like yeah. how many random times someone hits me up and is like, what would be my test weight at this? What are the, you know, yeah. for this cert or that cert? I'm like, 
this is all online and I'm happy yeah. to help, but there's a baseline. And if you need to really learn how to do a swing or a snatch, because you're planning on going to a class, but you, it, but you don't, for some reason, you're not training with somebody, you know, I put a lot of videos online, but like you should, you know, pay people for it. I think trainers give out a lot in free content. I think the quality of content overall has gotten a lot better too. Cause I think, you know, you know, when, when I went through the RKC, maybe there were 20 of us in the city doing like yeah. really like qualified certified hard style trainers. Now there's hundreds. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, there's just leveled up ability to find somebody. So, you know, uh, do the homework, right? Like, that's the thing. Like, do the homework. How many people sometimes come in and like, you know, I'll say in a DVRT land, they know they're coming to that cert three months in, they didn't bother to buy an ultimate sandbag. So it's like their first time using it. And they wonder yeah. why they're suffering a little bit. It's like, yep. how, why would you think that you wouldn't compete in a powerlifting meet at, just at the first time if you've never done yeah, a bench press? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's something that with the amount of certs that have are now in workshops that are now available and, you know, uh, the, the big things are and have been to tell people how many courses you've taken over the course of the year. I think there's a lot of that. And it's like, you know what, how about focusing on like three things throughout the year, like make three yep. big targets, your hard style cert, your DVRT cert, your movement restoration, whether it's OS or something else, like three yep. principles that you could possibly, uh, absorb, apply, and then integrate into your training philosophy versus adding initials to the end of your website. Because I got to admit, like, I'm fortunate enough that I teach for several groups that I'm very proud of. And I feel like an asshole more often than not when I list them out. Yep. Um, I do because I've, I've worked hard for them, but it seems like I'm this, 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 and, and a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> when I just want to be like, yeah. I'm a guy that likes to help people and own Godzilla toys uh, when I'm yeah. not with my family. Yeah, we're all, yeah we're the same thing here. Like, we make sure all of our coaches are nationally recognized, national certification, you know, NASM, so on and so forth. Um, but like, you know, outside of that, we do like we sort through DVRT, we sort through KBA. Um, but I don't require my coaches to, to put the alphabet in a bizarre order behind their name now. Well, let's actually let, let's let's. Switch gears to your staff, because um, what I'd like to let everybody know. So Gavin, I love these people. Gavin and I have like a, a history um, that could have gone in a different way, right? So this is one of the things that I love about Gavin is I was a member at the gym transitioning to becoming a trainer. Gavin um, was basically on his way out. Like it was kind of known that like there was uh, let, let's um, you know there was some bad vibes. And they did not. They did not like me. And it was clear that, you know, I was being, you know, going to have some of his clients and, or, or they were going to try to yeah. put me in that position. Yeah. And, you know, I reached out when the first person was, was offered to me as like, Hey, would you train this person on a, and she was an amazing woman. Uh, and, but I reached out to Gavin. I was like, Gavin, are you cool with this? And Gavin's like, you know, some trainers would be like real dicks about that. Uh, Cause it is an awkward situation. And Gavin's like, yeah, you guys would be great together. Like go for I'd it. I'd so much rather have her with you than any of those, any of the other ass clowns that were there. <laughs> well, you know, I won't say honestly. that about the rest of the staff, but. Uh, um, um, yeah, I would, <laughs> you know, I would, I mean, I saw, well, here's the thing. When you show up somewhere, and you have a set of kettlebells and they look at you like you have two fucking heads. And then all of a sudden that they see, they see that you're basically booked clients from like 7 a.m. in the morning till 7 p.m. at night. All of a sudden when the dollar signs go off, it's like, hey, oh, well, maybe he's not so fucking insane after all. <laughs> and then it was a constant like, you know, they'd be, I'd be getting these looks for things that I was doing. Like, 
you know, I got really into like, like I, I would teach everybody. I had a trap bar. I would teach everybody to deadlift. The deadlift is dangerous. The deadlift is dangerous. Da, 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 da. Next thing you know, everybody's riding the big old fucking strong first deck, you know? And it's nothing against strong first. Love their principles. But, you know, it's just, you know, it's like I'm not the one. And here's the thing. I'm not, I didn't invent the deadlift. I saw other really brilliant coaches that were getting their people strong utilizing it, you know? I was blessed enough to be able to work under Dr. Paul Juris when I worked for Equinox, who was very no bullshit about things. And either this worked or this didn't work. And yeah, yeah and uh, you know, it's like I would get this con, oh, why do you always have to be different? No, I'm not different. You're just doing a bunch of bullshit, you know? And that's what it was. And this is back still when people were like, Oh, well, Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu guys can't do strength and conditioning because it fucks up their martial art. That is a that that is a that is a bullshit fucking quip put out by scared martial arts instructors who are afraid of losing their fucking athletes. Yeah, that's an interesting one because I, you know, uh, I actually heard this. I, th- I think it might have been in the Pavel Simple and Sinister book, but that and and it's somewhat true that if two fighters of of Equal skill step into the ring. The stronger one has the stronger advantage. Stronger one's gonna win, man. You know, equal skill being it, and and it's interesting you mentioned the deadlift thing because because whether it was at that spot, I think just overall like, it goes back to that like uh, big six mentality of the old hard style things where it's like people felt like they needed someone to give them the approval to go and do something else. Yeah. Like it had to be endorsed by like Frank Sinatra. Yeah. So, like this is cool to to use this now. And, you know, Yo, dude, I, I'm a punk rock kid. I never gave a fuck about what was cool. Yeah. So it's like, you yeah. know, I, I, I know when I first got into kettlebells and, and ultimate sandbags and TRX, like I didn't touch a barbell for a while because I also knew for myself, it's like for me with skill acquisition, like I kind of have to like, like it's the skateboarder in me. Like I want to get really good at a few things and then I can add something on. So like yeah. I was, I was kind of doing barbell before I knew what I was doing. Yeah. Let me rephrase that for a second. You know what? No. It's not that I didn't care what was cool. I knew way better what was cool. I knew well, way better what was cool. It's like a different thing, you know? It's like, because so, you know, we both come up from like, you know, you definitely like ingratiated. You have a very different history, like level of depth from it. Like, I, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I love when we've talked about the background. We could talk about that a little bit. Like you were like in the fucking thick of it, right? Yeah. I was very much like skateboarder in long island and and i regret it now i didn't come into the city for the matinees i didn't come into shows a lot because quite frankly like i was lazy and i'm like i could go skate now and so now with cb's closed for several years i'm like crap i missed a lot of great shows that i could have come in for there was a lot of great shows but don't forget a lot of that shit gets lost in mythology and you know things get embellished on and you know you know normal people tend to grow horns or halos in one direction or another and it's like you know, it's it, things always like I said. Things tend to tend to get embellished. Yeah, I mean there was, you know? but, but there was that time, and I don't want to sound like Mister Old School, uh, but you know there was that time where I can specifically remember being really into heavy metal and punk rock, and and you know this was uh, I'd say side by side EP, sick of it all's first EP, Gorilla Biscuits, that era that yeah. all that stuff was coming out, right? So yeah. that was for me, I believe, transitioning from eighth to ninth grade. I remember being made fun of for listening to that shit. I was still break dancing and stuff too. I held on to that long. Like awesome. I don't talk about it a lot. I was not good, but I don't talk about it a lot. But I'd have to put like run DMC up there just as influential as Iron Maiden. Ooh. I don't listen to him the same way, but 
Run, um, run DMC or the black flag of hip hop. I mean, so good, you Fuck know, and yeah. like opened up so many doors, but like, you know, it's definitely influenced. Like, uh, I, I love hip hop and rap, but I, I have to admit, I'm pretty damn specific on the hip hop and rap that I like because growing up then. Oh, but no, absolutely. It wasn't cool. And I can remember people making fun of me for listening to that shit. You know, this was still at the time when you could be skateboarding and jocks would call you fag and stuff and like, you know, try to start fights. Like, it was just, you know, uh, skate rat blah 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 whatever yeah. um and then literally within a year somehow it caught on and i couldn't even tell you why because it wasn't it was still years before nirvana broke and yeah. all of a sudden the, those cats were coming into school like dead kennedy shirts and i was like yeah. oh fuck it i'm gonna like I'm, I'm just gonna be all right with it for me it wasn't like trying to be cool and i guess i was into cool stuff it's just it's the only shit that i could relate to because i couldn't relate to football uh i i I still have a hard time. I'm not judging anybody that's out there, but like, I don't know how you could be young and not be angry. And, and I'm trying to like raise my kids up that way, but I can't, I can't relate to that. Like I, so my music choices were uh, aggressive and yeah. or very sad but i i definitely like nickname fury i was definitely like i yeah. used to make fun of my pretty pretty harsh my new wave friends because i'm like why are you just gonna cry angry being angry is more uh more productive you use your anger and that that's was like skateboarding yeah, that to was a degree I, but i do love me some depeche mode well i have <laughs> you know admittedly i saw depeche mode finally like uh in 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 on the violated tour at radio city and oh. i was like oh crap i get it now like yeah. you had to see him live i think to some degree yeah and i think there's also that transition oh, from like all, just can't get enough stuff. to music for the masses is a big yeah. switch right yeah um and as there was a point in like my in my early 30s where i'm like i suddenly understand joy division and i suddenly understand uh the cure in a different way but back then it was like you know, this is sort of the birth of speed metal. Like that was coming up new thing, you know, black flag had broken up. Rollins band was just kicking into gear. Circle jerks were still, you know, around. And then you, this was in the, in, in a beautiful time in New York hardcore where, uh, you, you, you were in side by side, right? I'm not forgetting I that. I was in side by side. Right? Yeah. And, and, and absolution was happening yeah. and gorilla yeah. biscuits and sick of it all. And, and, uh, youth of today. And then, for me, like I, that's when first show I ever saw was Danzig and, and Sick of It All and Prong opened up, and that was that. Remember Sundown out in Babylon? Yep. That play, that show just blew my mind. And yeah. Sick of It All to this day, I think, as any New York hardcore fan, New York resident has to say, fucking powerhouse. Uh, nobody's delivered album after album without a break, without a reunion tour, like they do, and they crush every damn they're show. So, they're so good, and it's so funny because, I, I mean, it's pretty well known. Craig Sitar is one of my training partners, um, and those guys, they work they work so fastidiously, and they're so, you know, like, they, they, they've built up so strongly in Europe, and they don't need to tour the States, but they still tour the States. Like, you know, we don't feel that it's fair to just work one side of the pond, you know, and it's smart because, yeah, you want to develop on both sides because business-wise, that makes sense. But they understand that they have a fan base in the States, too. And uh, I really admire those guys, everything that they've done and the work, the work that they put in. And they're just fucking great guys. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get into the into the whole incident in any way, but I was at the Absolution show where you were opening up for them in the Cro-Mags incident. Oh, yes, yeah, Stabby Palooza, yes. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, seriously, one of the... One of the, the, the greatest bands and then from that burn right quicksand yeah. like those are those you guys because this is again i mentioned this at the beginning of this thing like burn is like a like an influential band like i still put on that and uh 
I hear Godhead and I'm like, holy shit, I just want to rip heads off. And I'm still this middle-aged cat now that like, I'm like safety police sometimes in some of the pits where I'm like, I still get drawn in and I can't resist. Sometimes they're just too damn scary. Um, you know, yeah. <laughs> we all know what that scene gets like sometimes. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Um, but I tend to end up in there, but I can, now I'm one of the older cats, but there's at, at some of those shows, there's a lot of us older cats these days. Yeah um what was it like so what brought you from so the lower east side new york hardcore scene was like a pretty rough spot to some degree there's like this great sense of unity coming but this is also you know with, with charlottesville and all that shit that's going on um you know in the new york hardcore scene you you did have like we had like a small skinhead thing i think like a small white power but it was like i felt like everyone kind of got their asses kicked if they started to stand up in it. What was what was that I, like? I, I got into a lot of trouble with certain people because, I mean, first off, I'm I'm a I'm a half breed. I'm half Mexican, half Dutch, and all of, you know all of my friends are just my friends, and they're just you know they're outcasts from different like you know, two of my closest friends to this day, Gingy Brown and 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 Sergio Vega, you know Bronx born, you know. Afro Latinos and uh, Sir, Sergio. I don't mean to cut you off, but yeah. man, Sergio's just legend in particular. He's I mean, I, I've, I've gone to see them finally. Like him, what he's doing with the Deftones is just insane. And I can't tell you the, how happy I am to get to see Quicksand playing again. Yeah. Like yeah. it's just unbelievable. I haven't met him. I've met um, Arthur a couple of times. He would not know who I am. I think Arthur, he, Arthur Smellis is another another just gentle giant of human being. He knows like those those people know Kim better than they know me. I didn't have a lot of friends in the scene. Now through yeah. Kim, I'm, I'm meeting a bunch of people. But um, just I, I just wanted to cut in. Sergio's just one of those dudes as somebody who like was like a complete half-ass amateur bass player. Just legendary sound. Yeah, yeah. Sergio Sergio's a phenomenal musician, amazing human being, but. Back then, I mean, it's like, and the thing is also the bands that I, 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 the bands that I was, Absolution, like, we were part of the hardcore scene, but we really hung out with the punk scene. Our, like, our brother, brother, sister band was Nausea. Oh, wow. You know? So it's kind of like we came more from that scene than we did so much the straight hardcore scene. And uh, to us, like, the whole racist thing, wasn't fucking cool you know and i got into some shit with certain people because i beat up a couple white power because they're like yeah, he's white power but he's cool that what the fuck are you telling me no no he's not no he's not you know and uh you know i i got i got ostracized for a long time because of that because people are like well gavin's the gavin's the reason for all this violence well it's like you know i was beating up two or three skinhead kids a day you know? I didn't know that. I see. I didn't know you back then, and I, yeah. I was I was skating in Long Island. Well, here's a here's a stupid thing about it, and it's funny because I've talked. I mean, some of the guys that I've gotten gotten into fights with, I've run into in the past maybe five to eight years. We've all grown up, you know. Yeah. We've, all, we've all changed a lot, and uh, you know, it's it's funny because you know you think about angry angry kids. And that's what it was. And back then, it was like I said something in an interview on TV one time where it was a generation war because, you know, we're talking about young kids, like guys who are between the age of, like, let's say 23 to 15 years old, who really their prefrontal cortex hasn't contacted the amygdala. Therefore, they're really not capable of conscious thought. 
So they're easy to program. And what was happening is you had these people who are these grand wizards of the clan and these other people who are using these poor kids as foot soldiers. And that shit goes on today. It's the same shit that goes on with ISIS. Yeah. It's the same shit that happened with the IRA where you've got these young guys that are looking for a cause to die for. And these older guys who don't want to get their fucking own hands dirty. So they're using these kids, you know, and kids, that's the problem is we're always sending the young off to die. Not to be morbid about it, but that's what's happening. Yeah. But when did the transition happen from sort of street fighting and actually learning martial arts? AJ James. Yeah. Um, He was a hardcore kid that grew up in New New Jersey, um, like basically his family's from Jamaica and uh, grew up in New Jersey, but he was at like 15, 16 years old, like a total hustler, like hustler in a good way, like had a bike messenger job and like was like living, I mean, motherfucker was living on people's couches, working all day long, but you know, for a kid who was quote unquote homeless was never ratted out, was always like press dress, you know, like press shirts, clean, clean appearance always. And at a certain point, I think it was maybe around like 87, 88, he got a gig dancing for Eric B. and Rakim. He was always like an amazing athlete. And he had previous martial arts experience. I think he was raised doing Taekwondo. But um, from that, he parlayed that over into a modeling gig. I mean, it was, we were baffled when we saw like, he was like in the windows of Gap. We're like, (laughs) holy shit, it's AJ. And, uh, from there, he basically was like traveling. He went to, he was in Paris for a while. And when he was in Paris, he started training Muay Thai. And he came back from Paris and he was like, yo, I got to show you this. So I started, we started going to Gleason's and at Gleason's we met, um, I'm not, I'm not going to go into names. I'm not going to mention names. We met certain people who, you know, and it grew from there. Cool. Um, but, you know, you start going in and you start focusing on how, how to fight and you start to realize that street fighting is just bullshit. You know, it's just, it, 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 you, you're kind of a little bit above it. You're like, well, I, you know, I want to know how to really fight. I don't want to just like wield a skateboard, like a fucking battle ax, yeah. which is basically, basically what I did. You know, it's like, you know, <laughs> I had a Santa Cruz longboard, which was a great weapon. Yeah. Um, right. Extra reach with that one. Fuck with- yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so like from there it was like you know you're spending so much time in the gym that you really don't you don't have you don't you 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 get taken away from the elements that are usually going to cause you to get in street fights. Well, you find a different outlet as well. Uh, it's the diffs the the combination of discipline and creative and aggressive output, right? Just in a different format. Yep. I know that was like the uh, the blessing that was you know punk and metal for me and the skateboard is like I don't know where I'd be as a human being if I didn't have those. Like if I hadn't found, you know, Iron Maiden, Metallica and like Black Flag and, and seen Back to the Future, I, I don't know what kind of person I'd be right now, you know. Um, so I, what I wanted to start at the start of this, we went off a little bit, is I, I do want to talk about, you know, so you're definitely one of my mentors, but you mentioned your team and, you know, Zach took off. Um, but like Zach and Naomi, you've done a great job because – uh, you, you take people under your wing and you really uh, grooming always sounds like a weird phrase. You grow people, you help them grow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, how, how does, how do you, what do you, what do you, when you find somebody that not that nobody's worth investing time in, but what are you looking for when you come across somebody that you're like, that's, that's someone special. I'm going to, I'm going to help them out. 
Um, first off, the person has to be, you know, giving. Because that's what you, as, as a coach, you know that. You, you have to be generous with yourself. And, you know, you can't be, you can't be like, oh, well, no, no, this is just for me and this is my thing. Um, because as a coach, you have to really be able to give a lot. And it's, it's, it, it, as a coach, it means a lot of things. Like freedom. Like, okay, like, okay, when, okay, when, we, 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 when I handed, you know, basically handed clients off to you, it's like you have to give your clients that freedom because you know it has it, okay it, it feels weird between two coaches especially since we're friends think how the client feels yeah you know so it ha- you know the person has to be able to you know and that's i think that's a great thing about being in a martial arts gym is because like when you have two people that are working together like let's just say on the floor there's a constant back and forth of one person as a coach and one person as a student constantly and this gets into like the whole Frank Ferencic uh, kind of uh, idea. Have you ever read any of Frank Ferencic no, stuff? No, I haven't. Uh, exuberant animal. I suggest everybody go out, check out uh, Frank Ferencic. Uh, Jason C. Brown turned me on to him. Um, and exuberant animal. It's it's beautiful stuff for people who are just getting into like rediscovering movement, you know, and the liberty of that. And I think that's one of the things that makes. I mean, that's what we, what CrossFit really did is they took the concept of what martial arts did, gyms do is build community, okay? And that community starts with the coaches, Yeah. you know? And that that is where the people, it's a trickle down there where people learn how to treat other people. And if the, you know, if the coaches are condescending to the, you know, and, and talk down to the students, the, even the senior students are going to look to condescend to the next level down. Um you know, so it's, you, you have to have someone who has that kind of, you know, ability to just be giving. And that's one of the things with like, you know, any one of my coaches, whether it's Jenny Livingston, who's like a movement, movement genius, uh, as well as Zach Dom, anybody who's worked with Zach Dom knows like he is, his mobility work is just phenomenal. Um, his mobility, his key is like mobility, like he can get uh, Jenny Livingston, I would say pain-free range of motion queen, you know, really, and has worked through things herself, so understands it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when it comes to, like, training combat athletes, there's very few people, like, uh, as far as striking goes, Naomi Kukson and Carlos Saldana, my two, two of my head striking coaches, just, I mean, even now when I'm watching, like, the people that they're 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 kind of grooming to be our new assistant coaches because now I'm a little more hands off and now it's really because Naomi's running the program. She's the one who's like really grooming people. I do still do some work, but and I see the people and I see what I want. And here's this is the key to what I tell people. Um, you know, and especially like because you know you're in a martial arts gym, you always get that guy's like, yeah, I want to compete. And the main thing I tell anybody who says that they want to compete, you need to become the best training partner on the floor. Yeah. Well, when you're I, the best, when you're that person that you're such a good training partner that Gaius Ebrat can come in here and I can put him with you and I know he's going to get good, strong, solid Muay Thai training session. Or someone who's never heard the two words Muay Thai comes up these stairs and I put them with you. And I know that they're going to have an awesome, fun session. They're going to get a little, just enough progress to make it 
can make it impactful to them, you know, and you're going to learn, you're going to gain out of it by learning to teach and being of service that when you're that person, that's when you're ready to compete. Well, what I love about what you said there, and I know a lot of my friends that have uh, facilities, what they struggle with is, as the owner of the facility, they're just bogged down. They, they, they lose control basically of every other aspect of their life because the gym really does have a way, um, especially where in, in, when you're in locations like New York and Brooklyn where rent is so exorbitantly high, right, um, that you're handing off. Because you did say in the beginning of the podcast, you know, I, I, since it's happened, like since Burns gotten back together, you've been touring a lot. So yeah. you can't be there yeah. micromanaging everything. Yeah. Um, has that been like a deliberate, is that a, is that a benefit of systems? Is that over time that just that trust has come or is it a combination of both? What's, what's allowed you to bring, you know, from a, from a, a handing over in a way of the business to trust. You know, Naomi's act. Yeah. Trust. Absolute trust. I mean, even right now, as it stands, I mean, Zach, Zach, who's, you know, one of, I love him. He's a fucking family to me. He's talking now about like, possibly looking to open his own spot, you know? Yeah. And I'm fucking psyched for him because it's like, you know, and I'll do everything I can to help him do it. Cause that's what we need to do. If we want to, you know, you know, I don't try to hinder anybody else's gym. Like, you know, Chris Romalo out at Crom, like they're, they're our family, you know, um, Dave Wynmoy at Kings and Queens, him and Andrew, they're our fucking family, you know, that's, you know, that's like, you know, this this community as it stands i mean larry betts who owns fucking brooklyn athletic family yeah so it's like you know the people that i look out for because those things always come back there's trust me there's more and more people out there there's plenty of people for every every facility i'm, I'm such a believer in that you know there's mm -hmm. this weird thing where people get so caught up on the fear of competition and let's be honest there's like you know mom and pop facilities versus like a lot of the big chains that are opening up smaller cheap things just you know i know it's the struggle is real but like there are enough people right if you can tap into the right people do the right job for them create the right experience the right results like they'll be those people for you if you have a smart business plan too right like there's that combination of it where i think sometimes we have a good plan and no people or we don't deliver on one end or we have no plan. So we have nobody to really, even though we're delivering, it's not growing. But what I love about what you talk about, it's how I view it is sort of growing our family within the industry versus trying to like hold on to things, right? Like we get so caught on like, you know, and that's when like the jealousy crap starts rearing its head or the shit talking. And, you know, I'll say when I've, you know, I haven't been to PCC much, but uh, when I've been there and I've seen you work with those cats or I've been at Catalyst and seen how the staff there is, or certainly at MFF, the best facilities have the best teams because they're true teams. Like yep. whoever's training somebody has a similar philosophy, but has their own, maybe, you know, like, the, the Venn diagram is not like 100% the same. Absolutely. We have the things that we like to focus on. We have our differences. But that centerpiece is there. So there's cohesion. And yeah. that's a really great way to have trust where you and I could have a, a, a disagreement about something, respectfully handle it. A lost art in this age right now. Yeah. Um, and still at the benefit, it, we know it's all at the benefit of the people we're training um, versus just you're right or I'm wrong or vice versa. And I think that happens too much because yeah. we're trying to like step up over somebody by stepping on them as opposed to just like, let's go up together. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, you're absolutely right. And it's like, you know. What's um, it been like getting back into the thick of touring? Uh, it's been, it's been crazy. It's like, it's kind of like, not crazy. Like, Oh, it's a party. It's like crazy. Hurry up and wait where I mean, I'm a movement junkie. So, you know, I, I go on the road and, uh, you know, I, we, we, you know, when we tour the States, we try, we travel with a trailer. So I bring two 20 K kettlebells, a jump rope, um, a power wheel, you know, the, the, the light, the lifeline power wheel that John Hines invented, which is yeah. one of the best things in the world. Um, you know, there's a few things I bring with me and like, you know, and I bring a, a neutral, a neutral grip pull-up handle with a strap, awesome. you know? Awesome. So it's like, you know, I can go to a park, I can find a tree. I mean, we, we, were, we were on the West coast. Like I had an awesome, awesome training session, session in, in the, anybody who's been to the Nike, the big Nike headquarters there, there's a huge tree in the parking lot. I had one of the best training sessions there I've had in ages, like, like two 20 K kettlebells, a pull-up, a pull-up apparatus and a jump rope, you know, and a power wheel. And it was just like, you know, everybody else went shopping and I just, you know, I don't need any more clothes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those things where like, you know, I have Fury Industries is in my apartment. Like it's literally our our third bedrooms a converted office training space. And I've certainly got a bunch of kettlebells and ultimate sandbags there. But if you looked at like the gear versus going into a gym, I don't have any machines. You know, I'm not dissing them, but I can train anyone in there. Like I can hit any goal that needs to happen in this room. And I know, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, training philosophies and how complicated or simple does it need to be. And I know for me dealing with the graves uh, stuff, if I go into a long session, like past like, you know, 30 to 45 minutes, like I will start to get some signs of tremoring again. So I have to keep that neurological arousal level low. So, you know, I come in and I basically do like either, you know, a a pretty mild warm up and then maybe a total of four things, sometimes two things. Um, And I just do the appropriate intensity for them so that then I can recover. And, uh, you know, am I getting the, the, the strides in whether it's fit, fatigue or strength that I'm looking for. Uh, not maybe as quick as I could, if I could work out longer, but they're getting there and I'm not jacking up my system. And I think that's like how we all sort of need to start to approach these things, unless there's a competition or a fight coming on. Like there are circumstances where we got to drive harder, but we still have to drive smart in those things. But um, well, the, the thing about training smart, and this is where people, people, they, they take training smart and they apply it to the gym, but they don't apply it to their own lives. And we need to get more towards um, recovery-based training. Yeah. You know, where everybody's, you know, oh, got to go hard, got to go hard. You know, one of the smartest things I ever learned was always, you know, and this is, a, you know, one of the foundations of the, the Wendler program is they make sure you leave a, leave, leave a couple reps in the gas tank. You know? Yeah. Don't train to failure. You know, training to failure is training to fail. And, uh, you know, that being said, it's even outside of that. Like, what are you doing? How are you, what are your sleep habits? You know, are you going to sleep? Are you going to sleep? The last thing you do before you go to sleep is sitting there on Instagram, trying to, trying to get more likes, trying to like, you know, trying to get a fake dopamine rush. You know, that's basically, you know, we all become like that kind of dopamine junkie. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, I went to riot fest for Kim and I went to riot fest this year for our honeymoon yeah. and uh, it was the first time I can remember that I deleted 
uh, all email off of my phone. So the app was off of my phone and Facebook yep. was off my phone. I left yep. Instagram um, just because I was like, it's photos. I might see something cool at the show. And I couldn't, t- I can't count how many times I'd pull out my phone to do nothing with it, just out of habit. Yep. It's, it's a scary thing, especially, you know, we do so much marketing now out of, out of our phones, you know, like all, it's my design studio now. Well, it's um, a, the Joe, the Joe Rogan quote. It's like, you know, what, what it was like if someone came up with a drug that made you just stare at your hands. Yeah. Right. You know? it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's kind of crazy. Yeah. And I, and I'm trying to learn how to how to cut back and, and off of it. And, you know, it's interesting. I know some of my clients, I have to be more verbal about it where they're like, you know, I haven't, you know, I sent you this email. I'm like, well, you send it in the evening and I'm working yeah. in the morning. So you have to, you know, yeah. you know, and I don't want to be a dick about it, but you got, you know, I got to get done with work or vice versa. You know, I've been working yeah. in the afternoon and I got morning sessions. Um, but I do try to get back folks. I get back to the people I train, but it is this like, you know, uh, if you're not, if you don't have a desk job or if you have a desk job, it's hard to relate to somebody that's on their feet training people or yeah. traveling from session to session. Cause we're just not on a computer all the time, um, trolling those likes. And quite frankly, I prefer to look at like people's Godzilla collectibles more than I like to yeah. look at fitness videos, uh, lately. Um, well, we've been on a while in part one. I'm going to tell a story that is like probably one of my greatest Gavin stories. So, as my as my marriage uh, ended, I, I, I met my ex-wife in high school. So, right, I'm in my late 30s. I'm single for the first time since high school, and I'm going to go on my first date. So I, I meet this this woman I met on uh, OkCupid. We, we meet in Dumbo, Brooklyn at Galapagos, and we start talking. And the great thing about internet dating is, like, you know, you get to know that, like, you have similar music or friends, not friends necessarily, but similar music or movie taste, right? And for me, that was, like, enough, right? Like, if we can talk about a band, or a movie and the person's horrible like we can get through that have a drink and end it so uh, i i i meet the woman in, in front of the place we're talking online and within five minutes she's like oh so you, you we listen to a lot of the same bands she mentions burn she's like do you know gavin van black and i'm like yeah i know gavin he's like one of my mentors he's a buddy at uh five boys academy and she's like gavin's the mother, the dad of my kid and i was like what the first date as an adult male <laughs> and it's it's Gavin's baby mom and I'm like you know I have no idea how to handle this right like this is all new to me she's yep. super cool but I'm like all right amazing well amazing woman I'm yeah and, Veronica and, Farge I can she's also works in the fitness industry yeah. uh, yoga instructor strength coach um yeah she's fucking she she is a she's a little juggernaut she's like so like she gets so much stuff done but it's always it's so funny she's always always riding like this zen wave she's always like <laughs> just so poised on a lotus leaf almost it's just like just like you know so laid back and it's like ah, she's yeah such an was, amazing person i i just really fucking couldn't believe it i was so floored and she was really cool but i'm like i had no idea what quote unquote bro code was for this type of situation and again in another one where i, I texted gavin i'm like this world is too small for you and this is just what happened. And I got his blessing to like, and you know, Veronica, like nothing ever ended up happening. She was super cool. But just like, A, the fact that Gavin's kind of somehow everywhere, right? Like even um, the, the, you know, so we had a New Year's Eve party. Uh, Gavin couldn't make it. Um, but through friends of a friend's, the singer Chaka Burn. It's just too small, this world. And uh, I think that that's- must have been a really good party because to get Chaka to go, because Chaka is very much like, if he's not, like doing stuff for the band, like because he's also got his Ghost Decibels thing that he's doing, like which he puts on, like whenever we're on tour, like the second he's 
not occupied. He's in his computer and he's programming. Um, so to get him to go out, like, you know, that's like, that's, and it's like, you know, his, his, girl, I know his girlfriend, Amanda, he's super, super into, um, like, you know, it's just funny. Cause he told, I was like, Oh my God, Chaka went out. That was awesome. <laughs> um, so it's just, uh, I think that's one of the cool things. And Amanda Thebe, who's actually, we, we recorded yesterday. She's going to be the episode after you. You know Amanda. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love and uh, we we're just talking about how, like, there's this cool thing that happens in the scenes, right? So we've already talked about, like, you know, how uh, people start to find each other through music and through these training philosophies. Whatever that curiosity, personality bug that gets us to follow these things you end up meeting a lot of really cool people so dude uh as we start to wrap this up i just want to say like i'm real grateful for meeting you on this career and thank you Absolutely. for like stepping out because you definitely took the first step with those ultimate sandbags that was like the icebreaker for us not that we were ever like dissing each other but i was still like awkward new guy trying to figure out what this whole world was um hey, you know we'll, we'll, we're all always the awkward new guys you know it's like always have to like maintain that like that student mind. I mean, that's one of the things it's like, you know, always be open to learn and understand that the main gospel is there's no, no gospel. Yeah. You know, every, every Bible's got typos. Awesome. Well, Hey, Gavin, tell the, tell the listeners where they can find you. All right. Um, if you want to hit me personally, uh, it's either GVV strong at Instagram or Gavin Van Vlack on Facebook. Um, for, uh, information about Physical Culture Collective. We are Physical Culture Collective at Instagram, or there's the PCC Physical Culture Collective page at Facebook. Um, or if you are interested in reaching out to me about the band, it's Burn NYHC at Instagram and uh, www.burnband.com uh, on the web. And uh, our new label, our new. Our new record is out on uh, Death Witch Records. It's killer, by the way. I know I texted you. It's killer. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, It's doing really well. The the label's been super supportive. Really looking forward to getting over to Europe. Um, There's a couple gyms over there. I'm really looking at, like, uh, Berlin Strength is one of my favorite. A couple gyms I'm really looking forward to training yeah, if, if you're around Bushwick, you should really, or even just if you're not around, make the trip out to PCC. You know, I get to see a lot of facilities when I, when I travel, and, and PCC's just got one of those really cool vibes. Like, it's just a nice spot to be in um, where you can also, you can get super focused to work, but you can also, like, there's, there's a sense of play, you know. And yeah. I, now in my days, like, when I show up at another place, like, I like to kind of have, like, a play and try things. So I like yeah. to see what a facility has and, and mess around with that stuff. So check that out. And if you haven't seen Burn yet, like, when they're coming around New York, hit me up. We'll go. Um, if I don't have the kids, I try to go to every Burn show I can. Uh, and uh, killer. So, and the new album does shred. There's moments where, you know, one of the glorious things in music, and I, I don't know if people that aren't into angry music feel this way, uh, is, is, you know... I, I, a certain song could just take me and I'm 17 again. Right. And it's just like, it's, it's the best. So thank you well, for that's, that. That's one of the things about it. And the whole thing is like, you know, um, what we do is, a, is, is it's a creative thing. Okay. Not just music, but with, within fitness, this is, this is an artistic creation. And within every creative adult is a child who survived. Yeah. You know, awesome. So well, hey, you know, get out. Hey, and create. Can you tell the listeners to die mighty? Oh, hell yes. Listen, we have a a limited window of time here. Go be the best you can, optimize everything you can in your life, and die mighty.
Awesome. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, man. Um, it's weird that this is the most we've gotten to hang out for a little while. And I know I need to get down there to pick up that windbreaker I bought like oh, four months ago. Oh, yeah, you do. Um, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Um, this is episode 20. Holy shit, we hit 20 episodes. I'm really stoked to have Gavin yeah. on as that, as that man there. Um, subscribe, rate, review, check out Gavin's stuff. If you're interested in training with me, either through classes online or in person, um, visit CoachFury.com. Die Mighty shirts are out. The new Die Mighty shirt is out. You can find the link on CoachFury.com for those. So check out the new Die Mighty shirts. Um, and just, uh, guys, just like keep an open mind, keep learning, have fun. And uh, we'll see you next week with Amanda Thiepe. Later. Later. The Coach Fury podcast is created, produced, and owned by Steve Coach Fury Holler for Fury Industries, LLC. Special guest music this episode. Can't believe I get to say this. Burn. Visit burnnyhc.com to check out tour info, merch, and check out the amazing new album, Do or Die. So good to have a new Burn album. Actually, they've been putting out a lot of stuff lately. So good. Check it out. Artwork, as always, by Glenn Urieta. Visit glennurieta.com. That is G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-T-A. Or on Instagram at glennurieta. Thanks, everyone. To win, I can breathe. If I can manage to see If that's what I need